You're listening to Vet Candy. Hi, this is Dr. Jessica Turner, and you're listening to Living Well with Dr. Jessica. Your one stop to all things wellness, not just what to eat or how to move, but everything in between. And I have a treat today because... I have our first return guest, um, and I'm really excited to have her back on because we had such a phenomenal conversation the first go around. But today I have Ellie Fuentes um, back with us. She is the founder and clinical director of Clinical Insights, a boutique private practice located in Baskin Ridge, New Jersey, specializing in adolescent and adult mental wellness. She holds multiple professional licenses in the state of New Jersey, including clinical alcohol and drug counselor and certified clinical child and adolescent anxiety treatment professional. That is such a mouthful, but it's important. So I wanted to include it. (laughs) Ellie believes that for far too long, psychotherapy clinics have been sterile, unwelcoming clinical environments, adding to the stigma surrounding mental health care. She views therapy as one of the greatest gifts you can give to yourself and believes that there is a space for everyone. And I couldn't agree more. So excited to have you back on, Ellie. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. For our listeners, if you haven't listened to the previous episode with Ellie, she is phenomenal. And the reason we first started talking is because she does have all of these areas of expertise. And so we dug into um, relationship and communications um, last go round. But in the process of, of recording that episode, a certain topic came up and I immediately knew that I had to have her back on because it's such a huge obstacle within our profession and it's perfectionism. So we're just going to dig right in today. And while I know I'm pretty sure it's safe to say that everyone listening knows what that term is, but I would love to get your take on really what is perfectionism? Okay. So when we think about like what somebody is, like we hear a lot of people describe themselves like I'm a perfectionist, I'm, you know, very organized. But when we talk about true perfectionism, what we see is an individual who sets the standards that are very high for themselves and that they're only to be met with like incredible difficulty. And that these individuals who are struggling with perfectionism really only believe that anything short of that perfection is a failure. So it's really a very black and white style of thinking. We usually see is a lot of like perfectionist tendencies are rooted in fear and insecurity. So many perfectionists worry that if they let go of this meticulousness of their life, it will hurt their performance and their standing. So they tend to cling to that perfectionist, even when it's counterproductive. Yeah. So it's that need for control. I know that was, uh, it's a big part for me. You know, we, we joke about how, pretty much everyone within the veterinary profession has this, you know, kind of this label of a perfectionist. And that's part of, you know, why there's such a struggle, because like you said, it's very black and white. There's no gray area. You know, if you have a client that's, you know, maybe unhappy, that's a huge failure versus you can't really see any of the fine print. Whereas, you know, maybe they actually said something that was um, a positive about something, but all you heard was, you know, the negative. And so what causes this? You know, why does it seem like there's such a huge representation of it within certain fields per se? So what we see is like the root of all perfectionist tendencies and behaviors. It's based on self-worth. 
in their mind or in somebody who's struggling with these perfectionist tendencies, their achievement is who they are. So success is measured in worth. So if I am successful, I'm worthy of it. Um, Instead of imagining ourselves as being perfectly flawed and perfectly wonderful at the same time, they use that perfectionist tendencies and that neuroticism that we see to gain acceptance, love, praise, and that without that extra praise, they feel almost as if they're nothing. So true. And I automatically started thinking, you know, when you were sharing that, again, just I, I think so heavily through the lens of our profession and our my colleagues, it's such a performance-driven journey from the get-go, whether it's, you know, veterinary school or med school or whatever. But I, I feel like these competitive programs where you pretty much have to eat, sleep, and breathe everything, you know, vet med um, to even get an acceptance, that just continues once you're, you know, in the middle of it. It's almost impossible to transition from that mindset of, you know, your performance being tied to your grades or your professor's praises or, you know, the opposite of that. So whenever we kind of get into the the real world, we have that kind of ingrained in ourselves. And so I know I've always struggled with performance being directly tied to my self-worth. It's been something I've really had to work through. And I don't think it was placed on, you know, a parent or anything like that. Again, I just think, you know what you need to do to get where you need to go, you know, in in this field and in so many others that you end up digging yourself a hole. I was just going to say, do you have any like insight as to, you know, if someone is in that kind of a setting where you don't have that much control over it, but then you transition and you do have control over that performance-based, you know, approach. Like, do you have any advice on how to not fall victim of that being kind of the norm for the rest of your life? So what we see is like perfectionist tendencies, like, you know, just to point out, like we're seeing like a generational increase in perfectionism. We're seeing it younger and younger kids. You know, we're seeing a majority of adults coming in with this perfectionist thinking styles. And basically, you know, what we want to point out is that the rise in perfectionism doesn't mean that each generation is becoming more and more accomplished or that, you know, the adult population is becoming more accomplished and hustling more. It, you know, really means that we're getting sicker, sadder and undermining our own potential. So when we see people get stuck in these holes and we think about how to get them out, we really, really fo- have to focus on cognition. This has to be our main focus because it's all in our thinking styles. You automatically made me think. So as a parent, one of my biggest fears is creating that kind of a mindset within our home, you know, for my daughters and now, you know, a son. Do you have any thoughts on why there's such a increase in that that trend that you're seeing? I think a lot of it has to do with something we call the critical inner voice. You know, take a student who works hard on a math assignment and gets a poor grade. If that student tells themselves, I'm disappointed that I didn't do well, but it's okay. I'm still a good person overall. That's healthy. If the message is, I'm a failure, I'm not good enough, you know, I should have tried harder, that's perfectionism, you know, and this inner voice criticizes different things for different people, you know, whether it's work, relationships, tidiness, fitness, you know, these tendencies kind of vary back and forth. But I think there's also a huge, I know at least where where I'm from, a very big push on attending these high level universities. That college is, you know, your main focus. And we really toe the line of like hustling versus this perfectionist mindset. 
I could definitely see that. Um, you know, it seems like lately there has been more of a conversation, at least in some of my circles, with college not being the only option. But I mean, looking back, well, now I sound really old. <laughs> I'm like, it seems like a long time since I was in high school. But I know back then that's what you did. And not necessarily like my parents pushed it. It just it was never an option to not go to college, like in my mind. You know, I did have, you know, trouble kind of fine tuning what I wanted to do. And of course, that determined where I would go and and how serious I had to be about school. But, you know, I I do see that that kind of plants that that tendency very early on. If you kind of just have that belief like, you know, that's out there for me outside of high school. And so I, I have to be able to meet these, you know, these standards. So when you were kind of sharing what that critical voice could sound like. I want to touch on two things because we're kind of talking about the increase in in children and teens. um, And as a parent, again, say your kid is battling these, you know, that critical voice and you have no idea. Like, do you have any advice as a parent, like how to, I don't know, maybe ensure that you're having these conversations so that if they are struggling in this regard, but you have no idea that you can maybe help them see that there's a different um, way of thinking? Yeah. I mean, I think first off, like as parents, we have to remind ourselves that we are their biggest role models, whether they're teenagers and they want nothing to do with us, or they're still younger. The way we talk to ourselves as adults, the youth, they they see that and, and they model it without even knowing that they're modeling what we're doing. So one of the things is that like critical inner voice that, you know, mom and dad might have or you know, really point out as like, oh, this was an awful day or being very black and white, bringing it out into the conversation that that's a thing. Most teens, most young adults that have these black and white and perfectionist thinking styles don't know what it is. To them, it's it's very normal. There's nothing wrong with it. They just realize that they don't like themselves. They don't realize that the reason why they're not liking themselves and they're not, you know, feeling any kind of joy or happiness is because of the criticalness that they're placing upon themselves on a day-to-day basis. So I think bringing it out, whether it's just a general conversational, I read an article, education's key. Because if they don't know what's going on inside of them, there's no way we can know what's going on inside of them. Yeah, that's so good. Because, I mean, it makes total sense. You know, we have a name that we could put on it because we've been, you know, around a lot longer and we've had enough time to experience that's what that was, you know, like, that's why I tend to do X, Y, and Z, or I struggle with whatever, you know, we're able to put a name to it so that we could hopefully, you know, start addressing it. Whereas, you know, looking back, probably didn't realize that, you know, as a kid, um, or even as a teenager. So your point on us being examples actually leads perfectly into the second thing that I was kind of wanting to question. We'll be right back with more Vet Candy. I love my fur babies so much, but when they're stressed out, it makes me stressed out. Mine hate loud noises like thunderstorms and fireworks, and sometimes they just don't want to be left home alone. To help keep your dogs calm in moments of stress, use Brave Paws Anxiety and Stress Support Chewables for Dogs. These plant-based chewables promote calm behavior with natural ingredients that have been clinically studied. 
Did I mention they're fast acting and non-drowsy? I especially love that the natural ingredients are sustainably sourced. How cool is that? Want to learn more? Check out mybravepaws.com. Your dog will be happy you did. I, I know it's safe to say that we have listeners that are, okay, like, I have that critical voice. I know that, but what am I supposed to do about it? You know, how do I go about trying to create that gray area in between and not be so just critical about myself with everything I do? You know what? That's something that's really hard to do on our own because we have to think about that. This has been our thinking style for so long and we've been functioning in this highly critical pressure for so long that it's hard to just kind of break out of it. So as much as I'd want to say like, interrupt this critical voice in your head and replace it with a positive statement. Like those are just words much easier said than done. So I think when people start noticing that this is a problem for them, that they're really struggling with this is going and seeking out help, whether that be, you know, meeting with a therapist, meaning, you know, meeting with a life coach, somebody, you know, I prefer more the clinical setting as, you know, meeting with a, a trained clinician, but they are the best sounding boards to start pointing out how critical we are because we don't realize that everything that we're saying is mean. We become very mean to ourselves. And so we say, you know, break goals into small bite-sized pieces, work on being empathetic to ourselves. Those are a lot harder without actually being in the moment and having someone kind of poke and prod those feelings and kind of forcing you to be empathetic towards yourself in that moment. I use a lot like at some inner child work where we sit down and we kind of individuals that struggle with perfectionism also struggle with a lot of feelings of shame and guilt, um, especially related to their past of, oh, I should have, should have done this. Or I, you know, if I've done this, things would have turned out better is going back in time in our minds and kind of allowing ourselves to kind of give that past version of ourselves a hug and let them know that it's okay to kind of release that stress and tension. That's been a huge thing in moving forward for myself, you know, being able to kind of go back in and see that the, you you mentioned it earlier on, you know, the root of it being tied to our self-worth and where does our self-worth lie and all those things. And as I mentioned, mine's very performance driven. It has been for a really long time. And I know being able to see a counselor for pretty long time, honestly, a span over two years we were able to kind of go back and explore, you know, why is that, you know, was it isolated to particular events where, you know, that pressure was placed from an outside source or was it more coming, you know, from within because trying to seek approval of, you know, my parents or whatever it may be, even though they never ever put that standard there that that's how they were going to get approval. Um, You know, there's so many things and I'm sure you could shed so much more light on this, but um, when we're young, so much of that foundation of those ways of thinking, those pathways are established so early on. And, you know, as you said, it, if you've been thinking that way for decades, as much as I would love to say you could listen to this episode and like you're going to have a, a game plan for overcoming perfectionism, um, it really is true. You have to do the work to kind of dig those roots out and um, really explore, you know, where they stored it, which I could see that could be like really overwhelming or even like disheartening to some people. But I really just want to like, encourage anyone listening that 
may know like that's the step I need to take, but you know, I don't have time or whatever it may be. It's so worth it. I feel like I tried to do, like you said, you know, stop the thought and change it, but without really having like this full toolbox, it was kind of like I just kept trying to slap a Band-Aid on. And I'd wonder why I felt, you know, like crap at the end of the day when whatever didn't go right. And, you know, it's because that was my my gauge of if I had a good day or I I did a good job as whether it was a clinician or a mom or whatever it may be. Like you said, there was no wiggle room. There was no grace there until I, I recognized that perfectionism. What's the saying? You know, like when you shoot for that, you're pretty much setting yourself up for failure. Right. Like we really need to pull back like those layers of the onion, as they say, you know, like when we don't succeed, it's not just disappointment that's felt. It's not that I'm disappointed on how I did on this exam. People who are perfectionists, they feel shame about who they are because of what happened on the exam. So then ironically, like perfectionism becomes a defense tactic to keep shame at bay. If you're perfect, you never fail. And if you never fail, then there's no shame. And as a result, the pursuit of perfection becomes a vicious cycle. And it's, you know, because it's impossible to be perfect, it's, you know, a fruitless one. And it's a symptom of stuff that's far greater. We know perfectionism and the links with anxiety, critical stress, depression, they're so high. They are, they're definitely sisters and cousins of of a much bigger problem. Whenever you're walking around with these unrealistic standards and you're requiring yourself to go 90 to nothing and never pausing to take a breath. It's very easy to see how we could all be rolled into one vicious cycle. So one thing that kind of popped in my mind while we were, you know, talking about all of this. So what if you're someone that, you know, is listening and you think, well, you know, that's not really something I struggle with, or maybe I don't struggle with it as much because I have put in the work, but they are thinking of their colleague at work or, you know, their spouse or whatever it may be, but they're, you know, they have these people popping up that they could identify some of these behaviors in. Do you have any advice or like, what can we do as like, a bystander of someone that may be struggling with this in addition to just being an example. Do you have any tips? There's my favorite fill in the blank sentence I use with my spouse, with my peers, with my friends, coworkers. And usually it's kind of, we use this sentence to kind of promote a different way of thinking. And the sentence is just because, and then think of a blank line. So just because I didn't get all the dishes done before I had to run out to work. Then we say, doesn't mean, and then we fill in that blank. Doesn't mean I'm not going to get the dishes done when I get home. Doesn't mean my house is a mess. Doesn't mean I'm not a good wife and, you know, doesn't mean I'm not taking care of my house. So I, I constantly find myself reminding, you know, those around me to say like, you know, just because, you know, whatever it is. Right. Just because you ran late on your scheduling and we have a little bit of a backflow of clients doesn't mean we're not going to get to them. You know, that black and white thinking style that perfectionists tend to fall into, it it means really that they're interpreting their failures as catastrophes, that extreme circumstances are seen as, you know, warranted death. We have to find like a less pressure-filled, judgmental, hypocritical way of talking to ourselves. So I think saying to somebody to remind them like, hey, you know, just because this happened doesn't mean the worst case scenario happens. 
We'll be right back with more Vet Candy. Hello, this is Caitlin Palmer. You probably know me as the desk wench. You know, the sweet TikTok receptionist who has to deal with the evil Karen Stevens. Well, if you like that, you are going to love my new podcast, Desk Wench Confessions. On my show, I have funny guests who tell me about their own Karens. Plus, we have contests, giveaways, and skits. Trust me, you are going to love it. Check it out on a podcast platform of your choice on Vet Candy Radio. I love that. And it immediately made me think like one thing you could do when you you turn this episode off or whatever is just get like an index cord and write just because like that would be such a a great like visual reminder for myself, whether, you know, put it on my desk or a mirror in the bathroom, whatever, to think back to what you just said, because it really is. It's such a good point. I wish I remember where I read it so I could give credit. But a couple of years ago, I was reading a book and it was, you know, talking about this, that fear of failure and that defense mechanism of so many people never begin, whatever it may be, because they're so terrified of that fear and the attachment to shame or whatever it may be. And it had you like, okay, if I want to do whatever it may be, like, what is the worst case scenario? What would be the absolute worst outcome that could happen if this happens or I do this and, you know, the outcome is whatever. And I remember doing that exercise and like when you actually see it in front of you and like give yourself a chance to like read it, it's like, well, that's really not that bad. We think of it as in like a catastrophe, the end of the world, when in reality, the, the worst case scenario usually isn't really that bad. And it's probably something we're not even going to worry about the next day, most of the time, at least. No, I, I, I can absolutely say that we we kind of catastrophized at a client in my office yesterday that was struggling, a, a young a young client struggling with friendship issues and was saying, you know, if my boyfriend and my one friend I have aren't with me anymore, like, I don't know what I'll do. And, you know, I reminded her and I said, you know, well, what if, is not what is we go and we think about, well, what if this, I mean, myself being pregnant, like, what if I have this baby and it's really, you know, it's harder than I could ever imagine. What if, you know, and I have to remind myself like, but that didn't happen yet. And when it does, and if it does happen, I'll worry about it then. And I'll get through it as perfectionists. We think that we can't perform to these standards that we place on ourselves, but we've been performing since the perfectionist tendencies have started and we don't give ourselves enough credit just because what if is not what is are two of my fallbacks I use fairly often just because they make sense. And, and sometimes it's just hearing something like that, that can bring somebody's anxiety down of just, Oh yeah. Like I forgot that, you know, there's another reality out there besides the one that's in my head. I mean, my, my husband's phenomenal. He, um, I think has been become a, a pseudo therapist behind me in the household and I get anxious. He's the first person I go to. And, you know, he's an engineer, so he's Mr. Logical, but he'll say like, no, but that didn't happen yet. Let's hold on. Let's, let's focus on the right now. And when those worrying and those scary things happen, like we'll deal with them just like we've dealt with scary and worrying things before in life. And that's what I really, I preach that to clients of like, you know, when those bad things happen, we'll deal with it when it happens. Yeah. I mean, and that's anxiety in a nutshell, right? We're just worried about things that <laughs> haven't even happened in majority of the time they're not going to happen but we 
waste all of our energy worrying about what we're going to do because we're convinced that they are. You can challenge someone and say, well, what if you did fail? Like, what would that look like? And how would that feel? And, you know, that's great and everything. But I mean, even sometimes like a little bit of exposure work of what if you, instead of going to work all day and, you know, all week and then opening up your computer on the weekend and doing more work, like what if you just set aside one hour to work on the weekends? Like, what would happen to your overall, you know, productivity or what would happen to your success at work? Like, would it really change everything if you took one hour on the computer instead of four hours on the computer on a Saturday and really challenging somebody to make that change, challenge themselves and to see is the worst case scenario that I'd say, you know, oh my gosh, if I don't take that extra three hours, I'm going to lose my job. Is that really going to happen? You know, when I say to people like all the time, like, you know, and I guess as veterinarians, it could be very difficult to say. And, you know, but I always say to myself, like, when there's an emergency, we feel it in our stomach that we have to attend to it immediately. And if we don't get that feeling, if it's paperwork, like paperwork will be there in the morning. You know, we look at productivity and the quality of work that we're getting when we're pushing and pushing and pushing. And it's not our best work. You know, it is difficult to distinguish, okay, when am I supposed to operate in that, you know, kind of fight or flight within our, our profession, because there are a lot of times where you really need to, you know, like that's part of your job, you know, if there really is an emergency or whatever it may be. And I think at least looking back when I was in practice, I think it was really hard for me to like shut that off. And so when I didn't need to be operating in that manner, I, I still was because everything was kind of like an urgent matter because like, I just stepped out of a situation that truly was an urgent matter. You know, like I I couldn't transition. Right. It's hard to take a step back and to look at the big picture. That's what I was going to ask. Do you have like tips on, you know, if someone is in that kind of a situation, do you recommend just kind of like pausing and and just kind of getting a a up-to-date perspective on the situation? Right. I think like when it comes to, you know, being in a crisis mode, I mean, you have to think about what's happening in your body, like the cortisol and the chemicals that are going on in your body, your heart's beat is elevated. I mean, all those things and those things don't just stop because you step out of the room. Those things are still going on. Your body has to regulate. And so I would recommend like what I would call like a grounding exercise. Like sometimes it's as simple as like going outside getting a new environment. I mean, I'm always one to propose like any kind of connection you can have, like with the earth, like if you can, you know, I mean, this isn't always plausible when you're at work, but like take your shoes and socks off and go walk on the grass, like use that tactile sensation to kind of ground yourself or have a snack, have a glass of water, sit down. You have to think about what's happening inside the body and the systems that kind of are out of our control and in terms of like our hormones going up and down and kind of allow them to do what they're supposed to do, which is slowly lower. And that means taking time for ourselves and setting those boundaries. I I know that's been a huge uh, tool set for myself are these grounding. Um, And, you know, I've mentioned it on, on shows before, just the power of taking a deep breath or, you know, doing, you know, the box breathing exercises and that type of thing. But I know a lot of people, you know, in their mind, it's like time, time. I don't have time to go outside. In reality, I think we could probably make that argument that yes, you can. Like the benefit of it is is worth taking two seconds to just go outside. I know personally getting outside is one of my 
like most effective methods. I have definitely told my girls and my husband, I'm going outside for a second because I could feel I'm at my breaking point and they just know to let mom go outside <laughs> for a couple of minutes. Like just don't bother for for a couple of minutes because I come back in, in such a better state because I've you know, activated something to signal my brain to shift back out of that fight or flight. But even when you were saying, like, take a drink of water, if you stop long enough to actually think about what you're doing when you take a sip of water, like, that works. Like, it's really just anything that is distracting your brain, in a, in a sense, to something that's unrelated to whatever the sense of urgency is. So I feel like anybody could play around with finding what their thing is. If we go into it of, of, I don't have time that we spin right back into that perfectionist cycle. It's not about time. It's about priority. When we prioritize our self-worth based on what we're doing at academically or at work, we're not going to have time. But when we start prioritizing our own mental wellness, the time is there. You know, but I love whenever we have the opportunity to talk about things specifically you know, with mindfulness and grounding, because I do feel like it's one of the things that truly anybody can do because it's free and doesn't require a lot of time. Whereas the reality is, I think everybody could benefit from therapy, honestly, whether you think you have issues or not. I've had that conversation with people before, just with sharing my own experience and you know, they're like, well, I don't think I, I need that. And it's like, well, you probably don't for the same reasons I chose to start. But at the same time, the amount of insight that I've gained in my, you know, how I act and why I respond certain ways and and just all of this insight that I think anybody would benefit from. It makes these different examples um, even more effective because you're able to pinpoint like what your trigger is or what you struggle with specifically. So what exercise can kind of like break that, that pathway? I just want to echo that therapy is such a, like you said, a gift, whether you view yourself as someone that traditionally needs therapy. I tell people all the time, like, you know, we go to the dentist every six months, we get clean so that we don't get cavities and we keep our mouth healthy. Like, There's nothing wrong with seeing a therapist maybe once every three months to just get whatever it is out. Our mind's healthy. Like there's really is like the world is changing. There is no difference between the two. You know, the stigma is, is disappearing. That's been such a huge like motivator of, you know, why I choose to share so much about my own experience. Well, do you have any other, you know, advice on how to, you know, manage um, perfectionism? Anything that you didn't have a chance to share yet that you think is, you know, too good not to with our listeners? I'm a, you know, we, we covered a lot of it. I mean, like I said, like we can give these remedies, but without the help of a support person, it's hard. It's really difficult to really point them out ourselves. You know, I recommend like individualized work of like journaling, writing things down and really giving ourselves time to look inside on what's really going on. And, you know, and perfectionists don't want to confront these tendencies because there's a fear that if they stop, then they'll fail and life will fall apart. My ending message is, is just to challenge those individuals that feel like they can't do it without falling apart. You know, if you don't ever challenge it, you never know what might happen. You keep making me think of a situation. So even when I was out of practice and I was just running a business from home, you know, so much of it just 
I mean, it all fell on my shoulders, essentially. You know, I was my own boss. I didn't have anybody else, you know, working. But at the very beginning of 2020, before the world shut down, I got really bad case of pneumonia and literally didn't move except to go to the hospital for 10 days. And I didn't do anything work-related. And I remember thinking, golly, it took that happening for me to realize, like, I'm really not that important. Yes. Yes. That is such a great realization you can have is that the world still spins. Yeah. And so that was a huge shift for me. Like there was just a lot of unnecessary pressure that I took off of myself after that experience. And it was very freeing. And so that's one way I could be thankful that I got really sick. I think so many of us, we st- we remain in that place where we, we really do feel like things are going to fall apart if we slow down in any shape or form. And unfortunately, you don't see that that's not the truth until like you're forced to slow down. And a lot of times it's for medical reasons. And I don't want that to be the case for, you know, other people, you know, that's so often what I I share. Don't let your rock bottom have to occur for change to, you know, take place. Listen to these stories and let our rock bottom or, or, you know, situations um, inspire you to have a wake up call in a different manner. Well, I always like to end with, you know, just letting people know how they could connect with you, how they could keep in touch with you. The best way to get in touch with us or with myself and our practice is really online. Um, Our website's clinicalcounseling.net. There's on our main page, you can scroll to the bottom. There's different ways to contact us through there or just a Google search, a psychology today search away. Um, Whether it's looking for therapy for yourself, for somebody else, or just a general question, myself, the clinicians I have working under me, you know, we're always eager to take new individuals on and kind of start that journey with somebody. We'll be right back with more Vet Candy. Hey, this is Dr. Julio Alonso, and I'm here to tell you about my new show on Pet Candy TV. You can learn all about how to take the best care of your pets. Stream at My Pet Candy 24-7 on YouTube, iTunes, and most other video platforms. You actually just made me think of something. So it's not uncommon for me to get questions from people that are outside of, you know, Louisiana as to how to go about help them in a different state, if that makes sense. And so someone that's in a different state can technically get in touch with you and and potentially work with you or ask you a question. It, when it comes to asking a question, you know, when we, when we do actual therapy and we start an actual therapeutic relationship, we want somebody who's in state with us. And that's just ethically for um, emergencies. You know, if there is emergency, how can we connect? But you know, the best way, like there's a website that's called psychology today, every, you know, United States has it. Most of the therapists in your area are probably, you know, have profiles on there that you can always reach out to. But I always welcome like anyone who's, just has questions or need help finding a therapist that if, you know, this is what's going on. What kind of therapist should I look for? Or should I see a social worker or should I see a licensed practitioner? You know, what is the difference? Should I see a psychologist? You know, those things get confusing if you've never been in the world before. Yeah, no, that's phenomenal that you offer that help because I agree. I think there's a lot of options out there that people aren't aware of, but are probably more confused of once they are aware of them. (laughs) So, Uh, I'm glad that you 
kind of clear that up for me because I'm always kind of unsure as to, you know, what this, the scope of practice can be within, you know, different states and that type of thing. Well, Ellie, mm-hmm. it's always a pleasure. We could dream up different topics to keep having you back on if you're up for it because there's just so much that you have, you know, phenomenal insight on. And it's always just such a pleasure to have you, have you on. Oh, thank you. Hey, it's a fun part of my day. I enjoy it. Oh, I'm glad. Thank you. Well, that's it for today. You're listening to Living Well with Dr. Jessica. Until next time, we'll see you later. Vet Candy. Vet Candy. Vet Candy. It's Vet Candy Radio.